morning. If we can find our seats, we'll get started this morning. As you guys are finding your seats, just uh, real quick, uh, I just want to remind of the classes that are coming up um, starting in June, June 21st through the 25th. Uh, for all the high schoolers and parents, if you have high school students that are interested in taking a apologetics class, it will be two hours a day for those five days in a row from 10 o'clock to 12. It's a presuppositional apologetics. You'll learn what that means if you come to the class. Uh, the books are being printed um, in the church office, and the only place you can buy the books is our church office. This book was written by our former pastor, Pastor Andy. And um, in my opinion, it's the best book on presuppositional apologetics that's out there. Um, so buy that book, come to the class, uh, high schoolers, 21st through the 25th. Starting in July 11th, we're going to do the presuppositional apologetics class for adults. That will be Sunday, 6 to 7, one hour, um, for the next eight Sundays. That will be the rest of July and all of August. And after August, sometime in September in the fall, we're going to start um, a social justice and the gospel class to really uh, dive into the uh, worldview behind the social justice movement. And so we as Christians can really get our minds wrapped around it. Um, that will be starting sometime in the fall. If you have questions, please let me know, and I'd love to answer them. You can start buying the books. They're getting printed out right now, the apologetics books. Uh, I'm not exactly sure which book I'm going to use yet for the social justice class. We'll get there. We have some time. So if you would turn to Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. Today, we will be in Exodus. Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. If you would read along with me, starting in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. As the Lord had said. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, God, Lord, I come to you humbly, Lord, knowing that the topic we are going to wrestle with and tackle today is a hard one for our finite minds to understand, God. Lord, I pray that you would be with me this morning, as I speak, Lord, that I would speak nothing that doesn't come from your word or truths that come from your word, Lord. That your message would be heard this morning, Lord, that I would be faithful to the text of scripture. God, I pray for your spirit to open up our hearts, Lord, to understand this truth the best of our ability. 
to let go, Lord, what we don't know, the things that are mysteries to us, Lord, the secret things that belong to you, God, that we just trust you with those. But what has been revealed, Lord, that we understand we're responsible for and that you revealed them for a reason, Lord, help us, again, Lord, to the best of our ability to understand these difficult truths. Be with us this morning, in your son's name, amen. I want to continue where we left off last week. And I said last week, to really understand chapter 7 and really the next few chapters that we'll be in, you need to pay attention to three main characters and, oddly enough, three body parts of these main characters. They're all connected. The first character is Moses and his lips. Moses' lips. How God uses Moses' lips. The second character is Pharaoh and his heart. What God does with Pharaoh's heart The third character is Yahweh and his hand, and we're going to see Yahweh's hand next week as we go through the plague narrative. Last week, we spent most of our time talking about Moses' lips and his calling, that he was called to deliver a message, and nothing more than that. That he had no power over Israel and Pharaoh's heart, but God has called him and commissioned him to take a message to both of them. And he took that message. Today, I really want to spend most of our time on Pharaoh's heart. So if you would look at chapter 7, verse 8, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. Now this is the first miracle that's been performed in front of Pharaoh, and I really believe this miracle foreshadows the ten plagues that are going to come in the next few chapters. And there's three observations I want to make about these two verses here. The first one is this. Moses directed Aaron in the presence of Pharaoh. Now just pay attention and listen carefully to verse 8 again. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is God's direction to them, verse 9, When, it's an important word there, When Pharaoh asks or says to you, Prove yourself by working a miracle, then... At that point, in other words, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. God clearly wants Pharaoh to know that Moses is in authority, not Aaron. This kind of points us back to the verse that we uh, went over last week, and that's verse 1 of Exodus 7. Exodus 7 verse 1 says this, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. This is really important. There's a comparison that's happening here between Moses and Pharaoh. Moses, a lowly shepherd who has a speech impediment, leader of a slave nation, comes with the authority of God. In fact, God says, I'll make you like God to Pharaoh. Versus Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world at that time, leading the most powerful nation and army in the world, Egypt, who thinks he is a god. These two are meant to be compared in contrast as we go through this portion of scripture, this portion of Exodus. Listen, God chose Moses, slow of speech Moses, shepherd boy Moses, to shame Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. It was exactly what 1 
Corinthians 1 verse 27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. We are meant to see this contrast in the book of Exodus. And again, Exodus 7 verse 8 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourself by working a miracle, then, then you, Moses, shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. The second observation I want to make is the staff becomes a serpent. Remember, Pharaoh is being portrayed as the seed of the serpent in Exodus. Genesis 3.15, when God curses the serpent in the garden, we went over this when we went through Genesis, when he curses the serpent in the garden, he said, I'll put enmity between you, that's the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring, I like the word seed better, your seed, that's the literal word in Hebrew, your seed and her seed. In other words, there's going to be this war between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. In the book of Exodus, Israel is portrayed as the seed of the woman and Pharaoh as the seed of the serpent. In fact, you probably could picture this. Pharaohs had on their crown a serpent because that's what represented them in the history of Egypt. Therefore, the first sign was showing that Pharaoh, the seed of the serpent, the Egyptians were completely under the control of God's hand. Remember, when God told Moses to do this, he told Moses to throw down the the staff, and the staff became a serpent. And then he told Moses to reach out his hand, which is the same Hebrew word as stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail, and it became a staff again. This points to God stretching out his hand in control of Pharaoh and the Egyptians third observation I want to make is that the purpose of this miracle was to confirm the authority of Moses and his message, at least one of the main purposes of it. Moses' lips were to come with a message, and that message came with the authority of God, and this miracle proved it. And the message is seen in Exodus 5 verse 1. It says this, Thus says Yahweh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. That message comes, comes with the authority of Yahweh. Now look at Exodus chapter 7, verse 10 again. It says this, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Moses cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and became a serpent. What is this? Let's think about it. This is truth. It's truth being revealed by God. It's truth of God's sovereignty being revealed even over the natural world. God has the power to bend the rules of the natural world. He can change staffs into serpents if he wants to. It's truth being revealed to Pharaoh. God is revealing truth to Pharaoh that Yahweh is sovereign, that Yahweh is powerful, and Moses is his representative. That Moses' words that are coming from his lips are authoritative. And look how Pharaoh responds, verse 11. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the the, um, magicians of Egypt, 
also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. What is this? Listen, this is the suppression of truth. This is truth that was revealed to Yahweh through a sign and wonder, the staff becoming a serpent. The magicians provided a way for Pharaoh to suppress that truth. Pharaoh found a way, in other words, to justify his own futile thinking by calling the magicians to do the same thing. That Pharaoh is divine, his futile thinking. That he's some kind of God. That he is in control, he is sovereign, he is powerful. It was a way to justify his own self-worship really it was a way to rebel against the true God Yahweh the magicians just provided a way for him to do that look at verse 11 again the magician or magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts the magicians these were some kind of advisors to the king probably experts in science and the pagan occult there's a debate what secret arts means it could be an illusion like just magic trick of some sort like we see when we go to a magic show or it could have been some kind of demonic power that actually changed the staffs into snakes but either way it gave Pharaoh the opportunity to suppress the truth that was obvious to him the truth that Yahweh is truly sovereign and powerful not Pharaoh and that truth will get harder and harder to suppress Romans 1.18 says this for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That word suppress in Greek is actually like, I've said this so many times, I know you guys have heard this, but I'm going to say it again. I have another illustration too, so let me get this one out of the way first. It's like taking a, a ball in a swimming pool and pushing that ball underwater, suppressing that ball And just like suppressing that ball, eventually it's going to slip and come up and hit you in the face. Suppressing the truth is the same exact way. Or here's my other illustration. This is a new one. How many of you played that whack-a-mole game? The suppression, that word in Greek, has that same connotation where you keep hitting these moles that pop up. Eventually, you just can't hit them fast enough, and you lose the game. You always lose. You can't win that game. You just get faster and faster. These are perfect illustrations of Pharaoh's heart and thinking in the next five chapters. He keeps suppressing the truth, and the truth keeps hitting him in the face. And it all starts in verse 12. Again, look at verse 12. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents, but... Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. You know what this is? A warning. It's a warning that the magicians, these men that used their secret arts, these secret arts were no match for God's power. And again, that becomes super clear in the next few chapters. This all leads up to verse 13, and this is where I want to spend most of our time this morning. Verse 13 says this, Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. 
the Lord has predicted this. God has told Moses this a number of times, at least twice, before he ever went to Pharaoh with the message. Again, I said this last week, God used Moses' lips, the message that Moses gave. We find that message in Exodus 5 verse 1, thus says Yahweh. God used Moses' lips to harden Pharaoh's heart. We see the very next verse, Exodus 5 verse 2, who is Yahweh? And more than that, I will not listen to this Yahweh. God used Moses' lips to harden Pharaoh's heart so that God could stretch out his hand against Pharaoh and Egypt. Verse 5 says this, that the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh, so that his name, Exodus 9.16, so that his name may be proclaimed in all the earth, so that God's name would be known, that God's name would be glorified in all the earth. This is where we left off last week, and we really spent most of our time, again, looking at Moses' lips and his calling, his commission to deliver a message is the same as the church. That's our calling, is to deliver a message. We have no power over people's hearts, man's hearts. The gospel is the power of God to salvation, and we are called just to deliver that message and let God do what he will with that message. Today I want to look at Pharaoh's heart. Again, chapter 7, I believe, is a foreshadowing of the plague narrative, which we're going to jump into next week, and we're going to see God's hand in action. There's two observations concerning Pharaoh's heart that I want to look at this morning. The first one is this, and we've already talked about it. But whenever God's word is faithfully, accurately, and clearly proclaim, it always accomplishes God's purposes. 100% of the time. Moses, from chapter 7, there's a main, major switch that happens in the book of Exodus, and it happens in Exodus chapter 7, verse 6. From Moses, from chapter 7, verse 6 on, is faithful, is obedient. He doesn't question anymore. All the way till the wilderness Look at verse 10, it says this, in fact, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded, which accomplished God's purposes. One of his purposes was to harden Pharaoh's heart. God used Moses' lips to harden Pharaoh's heart so that God could stretch out his hand so that his name, super important, Exodus is all about the name of the Lord Yahweh, so so that his name would be known by Egypt, by the nation of Israel, and every other nation in the world. In fact, it would be known by us as we go through the story and narrative of Exodus. That's what Exodus 9.16 tells us. This is the purpose of hardening Pharaoh's heart. Listen. Whenever we proclaim God's word, whenever we faithfully and accurately and clearly share the gospel, it always accomplishes God's purpose. And its purposes does two things, one of two things when we do this. It either softens or hardens. Philip Ryken writes, Christians usually assume that the message of salvation is preached in order to turn people's hearts back to God. And so it is, right? That's the hope. And I'm really clear on that. That's the hope 
when we proclaim God's word and share the gospel. One primary purpose of evangelism is the conversion of unbelievers to faith in Jesus Christ. But that is not evangelism's only purpose. One of the mysteries of God's sovereignty is that the gospel is also preached in order to confirm sinners in their unbelief. We see this clearly in Isaiah 6, the great passage of Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is lifted somehow into the throne room of God and sees God on the throne, and he falls on his face and says, Woe is me, and God sends an angel with a coal, burns his lips, represents some kind of grace and atonement that happens there, and and in that grace... God calls out and says, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And God says, go. Go, Isaiah, and preach. But he also says, your preaching is going to make the hearts of the people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. It's Isaiah 6, verse 10. In other words, Isaiah's preaching is going to harden people's hearts. For Isaiah and Jeremiah, there wasn't very many conversions, yet they were faithful in what they were doing, and God used their faithfulness for his purposes. In fact, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10 is quoted a number of times in the New Testament. It's quoted by Jesus himself, and I want you to think about this. If preaching is all about conversion and bringing people to the Lord, then Jesus was a failure. Because very few people that listened to Jesus were converted. Jesus wasn't a failure. That's why he quotes Isaiah 6 verse 10 to the apostles who were asking him why he was speaking in parables in Mark chapter 13. Part of my purpose in preaching is confirming sinners in their own unbelief. The preaching of God's word has a double effect. For some, it softens their hearts. For others, it hardens it. So whenever we proclaim, just like Jesus did, whenever we proclaim God's message faithfully, just like Isaiah and Jeremiah, whenever we proclaim God's message faithfully, just like Moses, we can trust that God's purposes will be accomplished. Second observation I want to make, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time, about Pharaoh's heart is this. God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. Again, in Exodus, there's a correlation and connection between Moses and Pharaoh. The leader of Israel, Moses, and the leader of Egypt, Pharaoh. There's many differences between the two, but there's one major difference. In Moses, God displays his divine mercy Four and a half chapters, we've spent months on this, right? God's patience with Moses, slowly softening Moses' heart, sovereignly bringing Moses to faith and obedience. In Pharaoh, God displays his divine judgment. In fact, it just clearly says that he hardens Pharaoh's heart. Exodus 4.21 says this, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt... See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. 
but I will harden his heart. Just doesn't get clearer than that. So that he will not let the people go. Exodus chapter 7 verse 2. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Maybe that's clear because he doesn't say his, he just says, he says Pharaoh. <laughs> and why would God do this? Well, Exodus chapter 9 verse 16 tells us, but for this purpose I, this is Yahweh, have re- raised you, Pharaoh, up. I have raised you up. For this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name so important. My name may be proclaimed in all of the earth. God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that his name, Yahweh, may be proclaimed in all the earth. Listen, I get it. This is a hard teaching. In fact, I see a number of you squirming in your seats right now. first instinct when we read this is to say, well, that's not fair, right? Or, that's not just. Let me read a commentary on Exodus that I really found helpful. In fact, I think it's the best commentary. You know, in fact, it is the best commentary on Exodus that there is out there. The author's name is the Apostle Paul, and the book is called Romans. you would, turn to Romans chapter 9, verse 14. Romans 9, 14 says this. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Paul understood we would wrestle with this in our hearts. In fact, I think Paul wrestled with this in his heart. And he's just up front before he dives into it. There's no injustice in this. Verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have mercy compassion. He's quoting here Exodus 33:19. We haven't got there and we will one day. Exodus 33:19. Remember Exodus is all about God's name. God is revealing his name to Egypt, to Israel, and to the world. That's exactly what Exodus 9:16 says, so that my name Right, Yahweh, what is being revealed so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Remember the burning bush. God came to Moses in the burning bush. Exodus 3.13 says this, And Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? core of Exodus right there. What is his name? What shall I say to them? 
verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Does that sound familiar? Romans 9, 15, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Listen, Romans 9 is at the core of who Yahweh is. I am who I am. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Again, Romans 9 is quoting Exodus 33, 19. We have a ways to get there. But there's a connection between the phrase, I am who I am, God's name, right? There's a connection from from Genesis 3 to chapter 33, verse 19, which says this, And he, that's Yahweh, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. This is what he says. I will be gracious on whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. It's the same construction in Hebrew as I am whom I am. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Exodus 33:19 is a further revelation of God's name. God revealed a little bit to Moses at the burning bush, and I really think what he was telling Moses is, I'm about to show you who I am. And we get to Exodus 33:19, and he shows him. He tells him, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. God is a God of mercy. He will have mercy on whoever he wants to have mercy on because he is sovereign. He is God. That's what it means to be God. But he's also a God of justice. In fact, this is what it means that he is Yahweh. We see the even further revelation of God's name in the next chapter, Exodus 34, verse 6, which we spent a lot of time on, which says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh. It's the only time we see the name of God, Yahweh, put together like that. Yahweh, Yahweh. God's about to tell Moses what it means that he is Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins. God is a God who has mercy. He's a God of mercy. That's what it means that he is Yahweh. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. But... God is also a God of justice who will not overlook sin. He's wrathful, in fact, towards sin. Look what Romans 9.15 says. It's the meaning of God's name. We see it throughout this passage. Verse 15 says this. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. In other words, works. But on God who has mercy. 
Again, it doesn't get any clearer than that. God gets all the glory for his mercy. We can't earn it. God gets all the glory for salvation. It's nothing we did. Verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name, that's important, Yahweh, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. He's quoting Exodus 9.16, verse 18. So then he has mercy on whoever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. Mercy on Moses and Israel. He hardens Pharaoh's heart. You might still be thinking, it's not fair. That at least seems unjust. In fact, again, I'm not joking, first service and second service. I see some of you really struggling with this. Paul anticipates this struggle. Look what he says in verse 19. You will say to me then, he anticipates a question from this, and I'm sure a lot of you are questioning this in your hearts right now, in your heads. You'll say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Listen to how Paul answers this. Verse 20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? We think about that answer. He doesn't try to explain it. He just says he's God. Well, what is molded? That's us. That's man. He's going to go into this illustration of a, a man making a clay pot, molding the clay pot into any shape he wants to mold it. That's God and us. We're the clay pot. Well, what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Verse 21. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use? In the context here of the passage of Romans 9, that's, that's Moses and, and Israel, mercy and grace, honorable use. And another for dishonorable use. Context again, this is Pharaoh in Egypt. God's judgment and justice and wrath poured out on them. Verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known, that's an important word right there, known. God is revealing his name. To make known his power has endured with much patience. Now, just take a mental note of that. We're going to come back to that. With much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Again, the context, this is Pharaoh in Egypt. Verse 23. In order to make known the riches of his grace for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Context. Moses and Israel. 
Moses and Israel receives God's grace and mercy. Pharaoh in Egypt receives God's judgment. Both glorify God. Both God's mercy and God's justice both display God's glory and reveal his name, Yahweh. In fact, again, Exodus 34, 6, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins, but who by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is what it means that God is Yahweh. He is both 100% merciful and 100% just. God will have mercy on whoever he'll have mercy. And I get it. This is a hard teaching. I've struggled with this teaching all week as I knew I was going to be talking about Pharaoh's heart and heart this morning. But let me ask you this question. I think it's extremely important that we ask this question. When it comes to Pharaoh's heart, how does God harden it? Now, I don't know exactly. There's definitely a mystery here, and I want to not say more than Scripture does, how God hardens and softens hearts. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord and we need to let go the things that we don't understand, like the Trinity. In fact, we get in a lot of trouble when we try to find answers for things that haven't been given to us, like the Trinity. That's why Romans 9, 20 says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but... The things that are revealed belong to us. In fact, we are responsible for what has been revealed to us. God has revealed a lot. In fact, God has revealed at least three ways in which God has hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I think it's important that we see these three ways. The first one is this, and we've talked a lot about it through Moses' lips. Truth proclaimed does two things, right? It softens man's heart or it hardens it. But it will never come back void, Isaiah 55, 11. God over and over and over and over again sends Moses to speak truth to Pharaoh. And it hardens Pharaoh's heart. Let me ask a question. Is proclaiming truth unjust? one of the ways God hardens Pharaoh's heart, just speaking truth to him. Second way God hardens Pharaoh's heart is through the special revelation of signs and wonders. Exodus 7 verse 3 says this, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. What are signs and wonders? They're special revelation from God. They're truth being revealed. That's what revelation means. God is revealing truth. 
Miracles and signs and wonders is revelation from God. Every plague is a revelation of truth. Over and over and over again, God is showing Pharaoh that he is not in control. That Pharaoh is not in control. That Pharaoh is not all-powerful and sovereign. That Pharaoh, if Pharaoh doesn't repent, final judgment is coming. That God is in control of everything. That he's powerful. God is revealing truth to Pharaoh. Exodus 7, verse 5, the Egyptians shall know, there's that word again, know, knowledge revealed, truth revealed, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt. And every single time God reveals truth, right, through signs and wonders, we'll see Pharaoh's heart. It's harder, harder, harder. Let me ask that question again. Is that unjust? God revealing truth to Pharaoh? No, of course not. In fact, it's loving. It's loving to reveal truth. I want you to see this too, right? Because I think most of us, when we read the plague narrative, we see these ten plagues as purely judgment, and there's a sense that, yes, this was purely judgment, but... If you would, turn to Exodus chapter 4, verse 21, because I just really want you to see this. It says this in verse 21, Exodus 4, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, we've read this a number of times already, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power and In the context here, uh, that's partly the staff turning into snake. So that's chapter 7, what we just read through. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Again, that's what happens in chapter 7. The sign and wonder happens in front of Pharaoh and his heart is hardened. He doesn't let the people go. There's two ways that God hardens his heart. That's that's clear Moses' lips, the truth proclaimed, and the sign and wonder that was performed in front of Pharaoh. Verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my, first, or let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now let me ask a question. Think about this. What plague number was the death of the firstborn son in Egypt? What? You can say it. Ten. What about the other nine plagues? Let me read it again, verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. What about the other nine plagues? Here's what I believe. The other nine plagues were warnings of the final plague. Climax, the death of the firstborn son. In fact, every plague as you go through the plague narrative seems to get almost worse and worse and worse and more severe and more severe. I believe nine of those plagues were warnings. Think of it this way. 
God was graciously and patiently. There's that word from Romans 9. Great patience. God was graciously and patiently giving Pharaoh and Egypt a chance to repent. Even though he knew they wouldn't. Even though he knew his patience and grace, his signs and wonders would only further harden Pharaoh's heart. God used his grace, patience, and warnings to harden Pharaoh's heart. Each sign hardening, hardening his heart, each warning hardening his heart over and over and over and over again. So let me ask that same question. Is that unjust? No. So far, God has hardened Pharaoh's heart through the proclamation of truth, which is loving, through patiently waiting on the final judgment, which is loving, through giving warning after warning after warning, nine warnings, in fact, ten warnings if you count the staffs turning to the snake. Which is loving. Which leads to the third way God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Hardens Pharaoh's heart by simply letting go. If you would turn back to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We've already read this earlier in the sermon. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, like taking a ball, putting it underwater. This is happening in chapter 7. Pharaoh is an ungodly man, an unrighteous man, whose heart was hard before Moses ever approached him. And through that hard heart, he suppresses the truth. Every time God reveals more truth to Pharaoh, he suppresses it. And every time he suppresses that truth, his heart gets harder and harder. Verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. And the truth is plain to Pharaoh. Right? God has shown him the truth through a messenger, Moses, proclaiming truth clearly to him and through revealing truth through signs and wonders over and over again. And not only that, verse 20 tells us, for his, that's God's, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world, the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Man is without excuse, and that includes Pharaoh. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's just another way of saying their hearts were hardened. Pharaoh is going to become futile in his thinking. He's going to become so irrational as each plague comes. His heart is going to get harder and harder and harder as he continues to suppress the truth that is obvious. 
Proverbs 22, claiming to be wise, or in Pharaoh's case, claiming to be a god, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images um, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, verse 24, therefore God gave them up. In other words, God, let's go. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts, the impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Listen, one of the greatest judgments that God can have on an individual, on a culture, on a country is him just letting go. Giving someone up to their own lust of their own hearts. This is why in Exodus it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. God lets that person go and experience the consequences of their own heart. And why does God give them up? Verse 25. Because they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the uh, creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Every time Pharaoh suppressed the truth, every time he exchanged the truth about God for a lie, God gave him up to that lie. He said, all right, Pharaoh, if you want to go that way. And his heart got harder and harder. God just lets go. So let's just review that for a second. Three ways God hardened Pharaoh's heart. First, He sent Moses to proclaim truth to Pharaoh. Second, he floods Pharaoh with truth after truth after truth after truth in signs and wonders. Warnings of the the coming judgment. Third, when Pharaoh suppresses that truth and unrighteousness, he gives Pharaoh up to the lust of his own heart because he exchanged the truth about God for a lie. In other words, God just lets Pharaoh go. If you want to go that way, if you want to follow that lie, Pharaoh, okay, I'll let you go. You know what? This reminds me of the loving father in the parable of the prodigal son. The son that wanted to go and follow after the lust of his own heart. The father says, okay. experience the consequences of your own sins, knowing that the lust of his heart will lead to destruction. Let me just end with this. I know this is a hard teaching. I knew I was going to have to tackle it at some point. But I also know what is revealed in God's word is responsible. We're responsible for it. We shouldn't avoid it. There's a mystery in how and why God softens some hearts and hardens others. The Bible is clear. Even in the hardening, God is just. God is kind. God is patient. In fact, 
one of the reasons mankind was wiped off the face of the earth right after Adam and Eve sinned is because of God's patience. God is truthful. I also want to say this, and this is where we will end. Whoever repents from their sins and puts their faith in him will be saved. In fact, if Pharaoh repented and put his faith in Yahweh, he would have been saved. But that's true for every one of us. I don't know where everyone stands in this room, and I know there's people watching online. If you don't know where you're at with the Lord, listen, if you repent, turn from your sins, you trust and put your faith in God, Christ, who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that judgment would be poured out on Christ and not us, those that trust in him. You'll be saved. You'll receive mercy. Jesus was raised on the third day to prove that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. Jesus is alive and well today, who is truly Lord and sovereign over everything. Put your faith in him, trust in him, and receive the mercy of Yahweh. Father, God Almighty, Lord of our lives, God, I know this is an extremely hard teaching, but I also know that you're good, God, and that we can trust in your character and who you are. Lord, be with us as we wrestle and struggle with this truth, Lord. Help us to stop from going too far, Lord, and to say things that you haven't revealed to us and just let the secret things belong to you, Lord, that we don't know the things that you haven't revealed, Lord. Help us just to trust you, knowing that you know, Lord, that you're good and trustworthy. Yet at the same time, Lord, the things that have been revealed have been revealed for a purpose. Help us to not avoid it, Lord. I can think of so many people that have avoided Romans chapter 9 because of how hard that teaching is, Lord. Help us to see the grace and goodness of you even through those hard teachings, God. Help us to grow in our wrestling, Lord, a deeper faith in your character and who you are, Lord. God, I pray for anyone that doesn't know you, Lord, is wrestling in their heart right now that they would stop wrestling and just trust you and put their faith in you God. thank you Lord, for your mercy and grace